Say That podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. This is our first try and it's going great. <laughs> <laughs> Always funnier the second time. Also joining us, producer of the show. I'm the producer of this show. I did forget <laughs> wow. the last time which show I was introing, but I didn't say anything wrong. And now it's all gone to hell immediately. Joining us here on the Say That podcast is the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I've been upgraded to non-writing producer. Nice. <laughs> That's right. We don't know what he does either, but he has points. Us all the way from Christ Community Church, Nooker, Tennessee, one of the pastors there, Lee Younger. I stand by the idea that that Glenn needing to restart was just a ploy to melt Matt's brain <laughs> a little bit more. It definitely worked. Just yes. shenanigans by Glenn. There if you go. You rewind and play it back at half speed, you can catch the moment where I start introing our Bridge Loud radio show, glance up at my phone and realize that there's three pe- that there's four people on this call <laughs> instead of three and my brain just starts malfunctioning. So yeah, um, we had a really smooth like intro into the next thing on that last <laughs> one, but I forgot what it was. So I declare an emergency. An oh, emergency? Emergency. As if the podcast wasn't already an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> Is the emergency that some 426 episodes in, we've forgotten how to do the intro? No, no, it's not. The emergency, and it's an emergency of opportunity, an emergency of positivity, if you might. It's an emergency of creativity, we hope. So we were, we created for our bridge live cast. We had some fun and created a, a little bit of a sitcom intro, kind of '90s style with the full house graphics and you know starring you know, you're starring Jed and starring and the best touch was starring Glenn Fitzgerald as Glenn, in the way they <laughs> yes. used to do in that way. <laughs> um, but so we I have an idea based off that. But first I have a request of our audience: if anyone works for Facebook or in the AI industry or in the social media. Please explain this to me. We used the full-on uh, Full House theme from the 80s, and Facebook was just fine with it. Here's the thing about that. We often, for the, vi- the videos for, that we make every week for our Bridge podcast, use music that Jed wrote and produced <laughs> and mastered <laughs> and uploaded, and it copyright strikes us. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely nothing you can do about it. There's no recourse. <laughs> That's so, so weird, dude. And while you were just talking about that, for some reason, I in, in my brain, I was trying to access the full house theme, and the only one that came into my mind was the Family Matters theme, ah. which is a a very much superior theme for a you know for as far as title sequences go. But now my brain can only for the rest of this episode, all I'm going to be doing is just thinking about the Family Matters theme. Yeah. Making yeah. it like every other episode. Is that everyone what Lee's thinking about before he gets intro for a question? It's the Family Matters theme. Later seasons, when they went to the second mom, if anyone's keeping track <laughs> of that. But people, we, we'd enjoyed the sitcom intro. People enjoyed it. Um, certain spouses of people on the show may have uh, made some assignments of who some certain characters were. And here's what I'm going to say to that person. I will definitely take Uncle Joey over the available options. I, <laughs> I, I enjoy the Bullwinkle cartoon. Um, I'm probably, based on just looks and general affect, the most Canadian of us, I would say. 
You know, I've often thought you were secretly Canadian. I feel like I'm the most likely to bump into you and then apologize to you immediately. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're going by that. Um, but here, here's the thing I, I want to pitch, because that got the mind racing of falling into these sitcom archetypes. And obviously, you know, if we proved anything in this show, it's that the podcasting might be beyond our skill set. But what about the Say That sitcom? Oh. And then I and I mean a return wow. to form of a nice 50s, 60s style. Oh gosh, the boss is coming over for dinner and we have to sit our neighbor's horse or whatever used to happen in those shows, or like running yeah. back from the room to one, the other. So so you're talking about we all live together in a swinging bachelor pad in bunk beds. Totally. Like, you know, who's got top who's who's got the top bunk, who has the bottom bunk, you know, that kind of you know, wacky hijinks ensue. Absolutely. And one of those weird, not quite major cities that they tried to set every sitcom in the setting is like, they're swinging bachelors in Columbus, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's an architect for some reason. That's the only job TV writers used to know people had. Yeah. But do we, how do we feel about who's getting into shenanigans? Who's, who's the, the stuffy uptight one. Let's cast this thing out. All right. Well, I I think uh, it's really important to establish that I'd be the wild card. Sure. I'm the one that's, uh, you know, getting in there and stirring things up, uh, causing problems, uh, wackiness, general mayhem and chaos. So you would fill really the Kramer role. (laughs) I would say a, 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 a bit of a Kramer uh, but you know, more like a Kramer crossed with like a Loki. Wow. <laughs> okay. Kramer as trickster God. I think I can give, I love that. the idea of an Asgardian sitcom. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like the idea oh, of the shot oh, shot remake of the, De- of the Marvel universe with Michael Richards as Loki. <laughs> Well, look, fellas, I mean, you know, as a connoisseur of of the sitcom arts, as I consider myself, it's important to to recognize that what you what you need to have is like a um like a will they won't they. That's a really that's a really big thing, but since we're all already married, that wouldn't work. So I think the only other sitcom trope that you can put in there is, whoops, there's a baby we have to take care of. Sure, sure. I think that would be pretty great. <laughs> Do you think that we could sub in, whoops, there's a bird that we have to take care of? <laughs> yeah. That's well, good. that's a good point, because we've, we've all seen what happens when Jed has to take care of the bird. Yeah, it's not great. It's not gone well. Now, Jed alleges that when he has to bird sit, that all the things that have gone wrong have nothing to do with his personal feelings for the bird. Sure. I I think the bird would have a different story to tell. (laughs) Okay, here's what I'm pitching, because one of my favorite old sitcom tropes is weirdly sticklery rules by landlords. Sure. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, the whole thing, yeah. we can't get kicked out, whatever. So for some reason, in this weird house we all live in in Columbus, there's yeah, there's no birds allowed, but you can have a baby. So we have oh, to convince right. <laughs> we have to convince the Mister Roper character. 
that the bird is a human child. <laughs> There's a lot of like, Jed, your baby seems to be biting your ear. Oh, they all go through that stage, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> There's just no way that Matt is not like the skipper type character from Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah. I'm throwing a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does every commercial break is me just leaning the camera going, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's a good idea. We could all be on an island. Sure. And, and we're stuck there. And then, so it's a little bit of lost, a lost element to it. Oh, you know? right. Smoke monster, et cetera. We have to have the kind of wisdom in order to get off the, the island. That's what it is. You Famous know. sitcom Lost. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. And then you got to see, like, who's going to who who's gonna eat who and how grim does it get. Did you and watch Lost? Of, uh, it, <laughs> I think it's basically like a mix of, like, Lord of the Rings and Lord of the Flies. Is that, am I getting warm? Nope. Okay. <laughs> also, do you think Lord of the Rings and Lord of the Flies had cannibalism? Well, because you got right to cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, you know, I don't know all the technicals. You know, I, I, I don't read the fine print. I think it's possible in Glenn's mind that everything that takes place on an island prominently involves cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, I'll go on record and say the only thing I actually know about Lord of the Flies is the Simpsons Lord of the Flies episode. Right there with yeah. you. Yeah. Right there with you. Tastes like burning. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, can one of us have a talking car like Kit from Knight Rider? Wow. Oh, I love Whoa. it. Yeah. It's British for no reason. <laughs> well, which one of us prematurely breaks the fourth wall like Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell? Oh. Mm. That's got to be Jed, right? Like, and he, and he breaks the fourth wall in different Jed characters. Like, sometimes he breaks the fourth wall as numerology Jed, and sometimes as Palpatine Jed, et cetera. Sure. Well, sure. I, think, I think Lee might be our best fourth wall breaker, because he's the only one who can relate to the audience while they're laughing at the rest of us. Here's what I pitch for Jed, is we've mentioned family matters. You remember how right. occasionally they would be like, okay, we're out of Urkel jokes. This week... The Saint Jaleel White is playing Urkel's German cousin or some nonsense like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Or like he yeah. goes into the the machine that makes him a suave right. ladies man or whatever. Stefan right. Urkel. Exactly. <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> guest Jeds. Yeah, yeah, I can do yeah, that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you could have yeah evil twin uh, Jeds and so forth, and then what you do for your fourth wall breakage is you have the the camera swoop over to Lee and he does like Jim from the office kind of a face, you know, like, mm. <laughs> I, look at what I have to deal with. That's Evil it. twins. <laughs> I think we got a hit right there. I mean, that, that's got everything. We got smoke monsters. Well, I love the idea you know. that this is going to create uh, more uh, premier pro work for Matt developing the title sequence for the say that sitcom it's, it's right. apparently every sitcom so we'll just cut like half a second <laughs> from every famous sitcom intro and just slam them together at least we won't get sued unless we use one of jed's actual songs <laughs> that's right yeah dear facebook i promise you they have my permission <laughs> yeah you don't you super don't want that i think as, as Glenn correctly points out, I think we've got a hit. I think we've got something that got, that's got legs. 
Uh, my only remaining pitch, much the way of you know Jim looking at the fourth wall, and this is really going to date me. This is old, but you remember the the animals that were also household appliances on the Flintstones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who like yeah, it's yeah. the bird, it's very player who would occasionally just look in the camera and be like, "It's a living." I want yeah. that, <laughs> but I want them to be like horrifyingly well animated. Like the whole time, it's not been alive. Like that's not a thing. And then yeah. just the the Jed's computer looks over while running Pro Tools, just like, geez, this guy won't give me a break. <laughs> and Dude. it just goes back to being inanimate. I, I right. know that you're ready to close this out, but Go we haven't it. covered a huge part of this podcast sitcom crossover, which is just like we need one character that stands in for every Christian's misbehaving trope. On this yeah. show, oh, like just the, yeah. it's the next door neighbor that yeah. comes over. I love it. I have a thought. I want to. I want to combine my idea with your idea again. Speaking of old things, because I am in my heart sixty-two years old. Um, <laughs> this, you were born no one in our audience will remember well. this, but you guys might. The Adam West Batman show, right? Oh okay. yeah. Every week, it was a different crazy villain, but they were always played by like an actor who was way too good for that part. Yeah, Burgess yes. Meredith, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, Burgess Meredith, you know, this kind of thing. Vincent Price, that kind of deal. So I think we have the neighbor character, but there's a different wacky Christian neighbor every week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we all eye roll them. Yes. Yes. And like this week, it's Christian musician. And then next week, oh, looks like a youth pastor's moving in. I w- I'm sure that'll go great. I'm glad you started talking, Matt, because I almost started saying names, like real names. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's why I jumped to uh, to job descriptions. Preemptive and strike. Much like a lot of other things, when we get to the point of naming names, it's time to declare emergency <laughs> off. Yes, if you'd like to see... for you. Thank you. That's going to get this episode obliterated off the internet for some reason (laughs) not because it's somebody else wrote it but because jed's singing it (laughs) that's right (laughs) yes if you would like to see said uh sitcom intro video you can head over to facebook.com slash the bridge chicago check out our videos there you can also check out our weekly live bridge cast every tuesday 7 30 p.m chicago time and if you can't hang out with us live you can always catch the archived version at our facebook page if you need a little more bridge in your week in your life you can also of course check out missionusa.com slash bridge box or song sermons and all sorts of other good stuff we are going to jump to our first question here. If you hang on this all the way to the end, I use some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll in your episode description and click the link there. Our first question comes in anonymously, and it says, I know you guys don't do politics. I know. I know. I tried to put the right <laughs> amount of pathos behind the yeah, double I know. And I'm starting to think you have the right idea because all I do is argue with my family about politics. It's like they always say the same thing, and I always react the same way. They can't see it any other way, and I for sure can't seem to react any different. I mean, when someone is caught up in a crazy and obvious lie, how can I just say nothing and let them suffer with it? And a great question, something that's I think a lot of us are feeling in a lot of ways. In the era where we're either trapped with our family or everyone's posting more on social media, never has this been more of a problem. And Jed, where would we start off with our friend here? 
Well, this is a great question. I'm really glad that you wrote in. And I really, really like actually where you landed. I want to read again your final sentence. I mean, when someone is caught up in a crazy and obvious lie, how can I just say nothing and let them suffer with it? It's a great question. And Mm. one of the reasons why I think it's so good is this goes way beyond politics. What do I do when there's a person who is caught up with something in their life? They've got an issue. They've got a thing. They've got a struggle. And to me, it's obvious that it's hurting them. It's obvious that it's bad. It's obvious that they need to turn loose of it. And they are suffering with it and appear to just want that to continue. What do I do with that? I mean, that's a great question. And again, it's one that goes way beyond politics. And It actually reminds me of a story from the Bible. It's from John chapter 5, where Jesus is dealing with a person who is dealing, has a lot of suffering in their life. And Jesus asks this really amazing question that you may have heard before, which is, do you want to get well? Mm. And I think that that's a really, really important question for us to just think about because in a without reflection i think it's easy for us to assume that all people who are suffering want their suffering to stop that all people who are suffering want to be well and that's actually not true uh right. I, I can tell you in all humility that i've had long seasons in my life where there were areas of my life things that were going on that were kicking me in the butt they, I was suffering, they were hurting me, they were bad, and I did not want to get well. I had no interest in improving those areas of my life. Some of the time, I knew that they were things that probably weren't all that great. Sometimes I was trying to convince myself of the contrary, but I've had long seasons where I said, ah, yeah. So again, the idea that just because I can clearly see that a person's caught up in something and it's hurting them and they're suffering, that doesn't in any way imply that they want to be well. So what do we do with that? What all of us on this podcast do and the thing that we would want to encourage you towards is very broadly to lump the whole of humanity into two categories – People who want their suffering fixed, people who, to use Jesus' words, want to be well, and people who aren't there yet. We're going to divide all of mankind into those two categories. Once we've done that, start with people who want their suffering fixed. Okay. Start with people who are ready for a change. Put your time, your focus, your energy, your attention into people who know they have a problem and want something done about it, and are prepared to be a part of that process. When you run out of people who are looking for something to be done about their suffering, when you run out, start focusing on people who actually don't care if their suffering gets addressed or not. (laughs) That's what I want to encourage you to do. And that might sound a little bit cold and a little bit harsh, but here's the thing about it is right now today, there are people Certainly there's people in your city, but I I bet there's people in your life that you know personally who are going to pray to God before they go to bed tonight. God, I want the suffering to stop. I don't know what to do. Would you please do something? Would you please send someone to help? I want this to stop. I bet there are people in your life. There are certainly people in your town who are praying that prayer tonight. It is not fair 
to take your time and focus and attention and pour it out on people who don't want it when there are people who do. That's right. That's, that is just not fair and not right to do to the people who are calling out to the Lord, won't you please send someone to help me? And so that's the thing, in terms of a place to start that I, I want to encourage you to focus on is to say that whether it's politics or not, when we have people who are suffering, but man, they are not interested in this changing. Let's find people who are ready for something new and ask the Lord to let us be a part of the healing that they are longing for. That is extraordinarily uh, well put. And Lee, where would we pick this up and take it now? Yeah, I love everything that 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 Jed started us on with that, and 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 I I love that you're asking this question. And I can tell you from personal experience that I've been in that same exact space, um, just this having those same issues with relatives. Always, you know, the arguing goes nowhere. It's a broken record. It's a, the exact same thing every single every single time. And and the thing that I can tell you from my experience, and and I found this out accidentally. I <clears throat> I'd actually heard. Um, the other brothers on this podcast talking about this stuff before, but I've found it to be true in my life by accident, which is um, simply living a life of service to the marginalized, to the poor, to inmates, to the elderly, to children, whatever. Um, it has a way of your the like your life lived that way has a way of bypassing some of the political hot topics and and just kind of disengages some of the heat of those conversations so that you just are a person who is living the kind of life that someone would be interested in uh hearing about and in, in talking about and learning about um i i was taking a relative um uh, like I, I picked up a relative to take them on a, on a trip and um they needed a ride, and they saw a, a a Spanish dictionary in the in the passenger seat of my car, and they asked what it was doing there. And I said, "Well, I'm trying to learn some some Spanish so that I can reach out to um, some some you know uh, a, a population of kids at our local high school who don't have a lot of support." and Initially, there was a bristling up about kind of some of the political issues around that. And when I started talking about it, I started saying people's names and saying, well, this kid lives in this situation. And all of a sudden, the whole thing got really, really humanized. And it dialed down the heat of the conversation. And we were able to bypass some of the political issues and just talk about people. And it changed the entire tone of the conversation. What I'm driving at is... When you have a life where you're feeding people at a homeless shelter or uh, you are singing songs for someone at, uh, you know, at a nurse for elderly people at a nursing home or something, which we can't do right now in quarantine. But you you understand what I'm saying. These kinds of service acts, uh, writing letters to inmates, these are the kinds of things that bypass a lot of the political issues. And they just kind of stand out as a clarion light in a dark world. Um. My suggestion would be to be about the kind of work that is so full of love and service that kind of nobody can argue with it. Um, what you find is that people people outside of Christianity, um, people outside of political issues and stuff like that, just look at the work you're doing and they just say, that's really important work. 
That's really good work. And and even if you get into a conversation or you don't, um, and sometimes it doesn't come up. Sometimes you're able to just uh, you're able to just be an example of everybody's arguing online, but this this person in my life, they're actually doing something. And so what I would encourage you is ask the Lord for opportunities, even within the bounds and confines of quarantine, where you can just serve the kind of people that Jesus said that we should be about loving and reaching out to and taking care of, and um, and let your life be the thing that speaks. And then when you when you find yourself in a situation, exactly like Jed's saying, where People that are not ready to change, we're just going to ignore that conversation. We're going to bypass that argument. We're going to let them stew in their juices right there with that stuff. At the same time, you are living a life that nobody can argue with and doesn't need to be an argument. It's just a clarion light in a dark world. And I would suggest that you uh, aim and head towards that kind of service. All, that's all really excellent stuff. I and Lee caught himself there, but we just want to reiterate: don't go sing at the elderly currently. That's, <laughs> no, not, not right now. That's about the most. That's the most. That's the most COVID unfriendly thing you can do. Uh, but luckily, hopefully, when it comes back, we will we will all have the opportunity to do that. We'll go back. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, and Glenn, all these guys are giving us all some great stuff, and they're but and they're looking at kind of the big picture of this, which is absolutely the right place to start out. But it certainly sounds like our question asker is probably still living with this person or at least in the orbit pretty regularly. So um, we can make our changes and do the, the great advice these guys are giving us. That person's still going to say political stuff and try to pick this fight if they just like fighting. So what do we do yeah. in those situations? Well, I think part of it is being self-aware of how much, let's just think about this for a second. How infuriating is it to hear a lie? You know, how much does that just get under your skin? How much do you hate that? I mean, it's, I think we hate hearing someone tell a lie uh, just in general. But if it in any way affects people that we care about in the world, and if it certainly if it affects us on some uh, personal level, uh, hearing a lie is the kind of thing it's very hard to be passive about. It's very hard to be mellow about because there's just something infuriating about about lies. And uh, I think it's it's important to recognize that that's a common thing. That to recognize this is how you know that we tend to feel about lies. That we we have that kind of fury about it. And I think if we are in touch with that, we can start to think, well, okay, if I'm talking to this person and they're, you know, they're giving me a lie, that's not the same thing as me trying to find the truth in that situation. I'm just reacting to how much I hate that lie. So therefore, I can get stuck in this argument with this person where we're both just pulling on opposite ends of the rope, but we're not any of us getting any closer to the truth, and therefore you are still going to be frustrated by this situation. And here's why this is key. It's because there's a difference between someone, uh, you know, because we're talking about politics here. We're not, you know, we aren't going to get into the politics, but it's important to recognize there's a difference between an institution that's trying to sell you something and they just they just want your dollars 
and an institution that wants to have a cult-like grip on your life. Wow, yeah. And when I say cult-like grip, I, I'm specifically speaking in, in terms of actual cults that I've you know dealt with and people caught up in cult activity that I know had very, very close friends who have dealt with that. What, what in those situations they're dealing with is someone who wants to control their money, uh, someone who wants to control their relationships, uh, people that want power, and in some cases th- those people want physical and sexual control over those people. If someone wants to have that kind of influence in your life, here's what they do to set you up. They say to the person they want to be part of this cult-like following, we accept you, nobody else does. Mm. Mm. Then Mm. they fill you with a bunch of crazy lies that they convince you of, you go and talk to your friends and you say, here's a lie that I was told by these people. And people say, that's a lie. You say, they're right. You are all against me. <laughs> I mean, none of these people ever called me a liar, but all my friends are calling me liars. They're not my real friends. The people in the cult are my real friends. So that's how the setup goes. Wow. Uh, so it's important then you say, okay, how do we, how do we deal with that? We have to break the spell. We have to break the spell of that uh, sense of uh, no one is for me except for these weirdos telling me, <laughs> filling my head full of these lies. Uh, the, the reality is uh, the way that a cult-like entity gets its uh, thing going is they're always selling you on apocalypse, and it's all coming, the, you know, the mothership is coming for us or, you know, it's the end of the world or, you know, there's going to be a comet or whatever it is. And you have to, you know, get all, you, you participate in this in order to get the right standing because nothing else matters. So you can lie, you can manipulate, you can yell, you can alienate your own family. It just doesn't matter because the mothership's coming later this week. So... It's not like any of this is something you're going to have to live with long term. It starts getting you in this sense of an emergency. And the way that you deal with someone who's caught up on that deep of an emotional level is to is to break the spell of it by not participating in it. So, you know, if somebody says, hey, you know, you know, the, the mothership is coming for us next week. You say, hey, you know, I just made some uh, homemade vanilla ice cream. Do you want a scoop? Well, the, the mothership is coming. Well, uh, I don't know about that, but do you want the vanilla ice cream or not? I mean, let's let's enjoy ourselves here, you know. Well, the mothership is coming. We must prepare. Yeah, I don't know about that, partner, but, uh, I, you know, I know about vanilla ice cream. Do you, you? Let's get into that, and maybe let's relax about all that other and suddenly we can cut through that in a different way. But if I butt heads with that person, I'm reinforcing the manipulation that someone else has put on him. And that's what we yeah. want to try and avoid. So it's a really, really good point. That's all great stuff from these guys. We'll tack, tack on the end here. One of the, the things that Glenn is pointing to there as, uh, is exactly right that's uh, tied up in all this is the idea we have to let go at some point the, way, the idea that we can argue this person out of this because particularly the crazier the thing they're on, uh, they did not arrive at that by just kind of reading a white paper and looking at some things and running a spreadsheet. There's often something 
deeply emotional. There may be, let's you know, say 40 years of watching the same cable network, whatever it is on that, there's a lot going on there. And you, right. as one individual, cannot argue them out of it. And you can't really, really cajole them to the point they're going to need to get to to let go of that. They're going to have to let go of that. As Glenn points out, and this is not so much a cultic thing, but another thing of uh, kind of conspiracy theories and all that stuff is there. it's built into it to uh, judo the lack of evidence as the proof. They say, well, you know, he is, they, this all goes on. You say, well, yeah, no one's ever reported on that. That's right. If it, if it had happened, they wouldn't even report on it because that's how <laughs> they do it. Mm. So this this idea of you're gonna you know say the finally say the thing or break through that uh, says it is putting a lot on yourself and putting yourself in a situation where you're not helping. I think as, as we often point out on the show, Glenn's point to there, the really the best thing you can do is is play for time and not not feed in the negativity and take the time for yourself. If you need to block somebody on Facebook, if you need to yep. stop returning text from somebody because it is unfair to put on yourself either I have to break them out of this or I need to walk on eggshells in a way that's not going to send them deeper into the crazy. You know, oh, well, if I block them, they may think this, that, and the other, and then they'll do this. That's not really your responsibility. They're, if they're a grown person, they're on their own thing, and you do have to prioritize your own sanity at some point, which, as these guys point out, in the long term is the loving thing to do for them as well. We are going to jump to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and as well and says, I'm having a hard time with something. The Bible has been used to manipulate and hurt people. It's been used to justify racism, sexism, homophobia, etc. Even though I love Jesus a lot, I think I have a hard time seeing the Bible as good given mm. all that. Any thoughts? And another excellent question. And Lee, where would we kick this off? So many thoughts. Um, I, I'm really glad that you wrote this in and you're exactly right. The the Bible has been used by anybody and everybody to say whatever they want to say. What we're looking at actually right here is a problem with manipulative people. It's not actually a problem with the Bible itself. Um, and so when we talk about, like, what, what do we do off of that, um, that comes down to a, a couple of things in my book. One is um, is is really to go simple and and holistic. And what I mean by that is when you simply read the scriptures, when you just read the Bible, not like as an academic mystery to be like analyzed to death or mined for, you know, for, for, you know, theological nuggets or whatever, what you find when you just read the scriptures is you find a God who defends the fatherless and the widow who cares about the poor. who tells us to do the same. I mean, when you just read through the gospels, what you see Jesus doing is you see him elevating um, the importance and the status of women and foreigners and outcasts, the powerless, sinners, and children, and telling people, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. When you simply read it, like you're not you're not looking for, you're not going at it looking for the thing that's going to back up your worldview or anything like that. You're just reading this and taking in it as simply and holistically as you can. The simple message of the Bible is about love, and it's about grace and mercy and acceptance. It's about self-sacrifice and humility. And these are beautiful things. It only gets manipulative when somebody comes at you 
with an agenda and they're using certain lines pulled out of context in order to say something that they want to say and they want to put some kind of authority behind it that they think you'll respond to. That's the manipulation piece is if I'm, if I'm a person who says or, or actually believes that I think the Bible is the authority, then, I'm, then somebody who is manipulative can find something that that book says and use that as a weapon against something that you would otherwise think or say or do. What we want to do is we want to be well-versed in the simplicity and holistic context of like, just what does that book say when you just read it? When you just read it, all of that other, that all that out of context, pointed, weaponized manipulation kind of falls away. That's one thing. To simplify and just take it in all in context and and holistically. Two, the second thing I would say, and I'll turn it over to these other guys, is that there are a lot of people who talk about what the Bible means and what the Bible says. I would say this: before you listen to anyone, look at their life and their work. Anybody can make the Bible say whatever they want. Before I hear your spiel about what the Bible says, I want to see your life. I want to see your work. I want to see the fruit of what you're about. Um, I want to, and I'm going to ignore anybody that doesn't meet the criterion of a life that I respect, a life that stands up to what the simple message of the gospel, the simple words of Jesus are. And so we have to be selective on who we listen to based on looking at the result of their life and work. And we need to simply read the scriptures and get the whole context and the simple message of what those words are. And a lot of that manipulation and complexity and a lot of that weirdness will simply fall away. That's a fantastic place to start this off. And Glenn, um, Lee really kind of focused on the idea of manipulation there. And I think that's going to be a key point in looking at where we actually land on doing something about this, right? Absolutely right. I think uh, I think that's a, a really good and really strong point because, you know, part of what Lee's introducing to us is this idea that um, that we have a responsibility as people of faith to to make sure we are not letting people manipulate us because they come along and say, hey, I'm Reverend so-and-so, and and I was ordained by this place you've never heard of, but you think you've heard of, and I've got a piece of paper that (laughs) says I'm fully uh, bona fide and certified. We need to be a lot more skeptical of that. You, You don't get any kind of free passes, and uh, you know, I think it's. I think I see Christians a lot of the time. They're looking for safety. They're looking for uh, insularity. They're looking for. I just want to turn on this radio station, and I want all these songs to be sort of a good and positive message. I get that. I don't see anything wrong with that. But the problem is. You have to be skeptical. You have to find that. You can't let someone else curate that for you. Mm. The, the radio station is just doing, they're trying to make money. Christian publishers are trying to make money. None of these people are trying to figure out what's the best of anything. And therefore, you, you're you more likely to hear something shady through you know a mainstream Christian culture uh, than you are from somebody that you've taken the time to go out and, and vet and really find out what they're all about. 
you know, I started doing a, a blog a few years ago, and I this kind of came out of, you know, I had a literary agent. We were working on a book deal, and, uh, you know, 9-11 happened. That kind of threw that off, and, you know, we had all this material. I said, well, you know, I'll just... It, my wife talked me into doing a blog, I should say, and, and, and putting some of that up there. I start talking about the stuff we had wanted to put in the book. And what I found was people read it and they said, okay, you work with gang members, you talk to people behind bars, you talk to addicts. Okay, that's all I need to know. Here's my problem. And they didn't want to talk about what it is that I do, what I've learned from what I've been through. They wanted to talk about what's going on with them. But it was just that I had... I was certified suddenly by, you know, I, I had a, a legitimacy there. Uh, so I think that's a good thing to have that sense of, I don't want to be manipulated no matter what. And the second thing is, look, I've heard this point a lot. And as Lee says, you are right. And people have twisted the Bible around and used the Bible. They've done the same thing with Koran. They've done the same thing with the American Constitution, they've they've done <laughs> that with, uh, you know, a, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, things that people sort of devote themselves to in maybe an unthinking way, and therefore they can be manipulated a bit by that. But I think it is important, if we want to just look at the Bible in, in the abstract, you know, a hammer can be used to build a house, and a hammer can be used to tear one down. So you don't say the hammer is good or bad. Now, you could say, well, okay, what about a handgun? A handgun is designed to kill people. That's the only—you can't really hunt with, <laughs> with a handgun. It doesn't, doesn't quite work that way. I mean, you can, you can try, but, you know, uh, the, the, the purpose of it is, is for killing people. So you can't um, have that sort of a neutral view of that. Uh, whereas, again, the hammer has, can be constructive or destructive. I think looking at the Bible in the abstract, I don't think you can make the case that this was designed with a sole purpose of manipulating people into not helping the poor and being racist and sexist. <laughs> That's not in that book at all. So, uh, you know, I think it is important for us to recognize that non-believers do recognize those of us who are on an authentic spiritual journey. God knows who has an authentic relationship with him, obviously. And the people who you are closest to, they know you and they know that you're on something authentic and real and you're you're trying your best to follow Jesus. So my question to you is, who else counts? Mm. Who, who yeah. else is, you know, there are people out in the world doing whatever they're doing, uh, but it, all it, that really matters is the people that know you know what you are on, and they they have an ability to respect it. People that are on something shady aren't going to respect you for being legit for obvious reasons. You're you're messing their their game up. Uh, and uh, people who are on something shady, they're going to f- have their comeuppance. They're they're going to be able to, you know, reap the the consequences of the choices that they're making. So they shouldn't count. I think it's important for you to look at uh, yourself and your own relationship with God and draw some comfort there. It's a fantastic place to take it. And Jed, where would we end this? Well, I want to pick right up where both these brothers have already left off, and I really appreciate. Your question, it's a great question, and 
I want to acknowledge too, I, I think particularly in the year 2020, I, I imagine if you're anything like me, you may be doing just a certain amount of just exhaustion with mm. all of the nonsense and the people being awful and, and wouldn't <laughs> all of you just stop, just yeah. stop it. And if that's where you're at, I'm sorry. And, and I'm right there with you. So I want to pick right up on what Glenn was saying in terms of the idea of a hammer can be used to build up or tear down, which is a really good point. Um, something that I've heard others say, which I think is very true, is that uh, there's also an element of proportion in all this. The more that something has a potential for good, it almost unavoidably has to have a potential for bad as well that's proportional. So a little tack hammer, it can do some good. It can do some bad. Um, a great big jackhammer can do a lot of good or a lot of bad. Um, when you start talking about you know the kind of construction machinery that a company like Komatsu makes, it can do enormous good or enormous bad. It can do you know incredibly constructive things or incredibly destructive things. So there's there's a sense of of proportion here, and here's why this matters: is if you take a holy book. And on some level, you can convince people that either these are the words of God or inspired thoughts that come from God. This is a very, very powerful thing. I mean, an incredibly powerful thing. So its ability to do good, in a sense, must be proportional to its ability to do bad. If you use it well, one imagines it can do amazing good in the world. And if you misuse it, whether intentionally or, or out of either incompetence or ignorance, but if you misuse it, it could do incredible bad in the world. And I think actually, if you can dig it, I think the Bible directly acknowledges that. So this is going to be from, hang with me, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul writes, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, here's the key part, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Hmm. See, the Bible is acknowledging that there is a correct way to handle the word of truth and obviously an incorrect way to handle the word of truth. So I think that we need to start <clears throat> by acknowledging that things that can do a lot of good in the world kind of have to have the ability to do a lot of bad as well. There, there's just no getting away from that. And I think if you, if you want to do a nice thought experiment for yourself, try and think of something that only has potential for good and has no potential for bad proportionally. I think you will find it very difficult to think of that. Here's the next thing that I would offer is that literally anything can be twisted. Like, I think, I think one of the things that it would be an understandable concern would be to say, given just how much awful stuff the Bible's been used for, shouldn't that make me kind of suspicious of the Bible? And I would say not really, because it's really easy to twist basically anything. But mm. as, as an example, let us turn together to the word of our Lord, the book of Psalms, the 23rd chapter. We're going to read the first verse together. Now, here's why I've gone to this. Uh, this is probably the best-known Bible verse in the world that we're about to read together. Um, this is the one passage of Scripture that I think the vast majority of people worldwide have heard at some point, whether they are religious in any way or not, whether they're Christian in any way or not. 
But it's one of the most beautiful things that's ever been written by a person, you know, uh, depending on your faith journey, whether God was involved or not. One of the most beautiful things that's ever been written by anyone on planet Earth. It's just, it's pure sunshine and light. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, that's a beautiful idea that I'm now going to twist and to make into something terrible (laughs) in order to prove a point. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, y'all. Well, you know what that means. It means that if you do want, if you do find yourself in need, the Lord must not be your shepherd. Mm. That if you find yourself in, in poverty or in need or going through a hard time, that must mean you're no longer a part of that shepherd's flock. That Thanks, must mean Jim. you've wandered away and lost your salvation. That's, hey, I'm just telling you what the Word says, y'all. I'm just standing on the truth, and you know what? If you can't handle that, that's maybe that's because what your itching ears just demand to hear in these last <laughs> days that the Bible warned us about. I'm just telling you, the Bible says God hates poor people. That's right there in Psalm 23, <laughs> verse 1. Jed now, got more Southern as his, as his heresy got worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I go through all of that, which, which is literal heresy and is awful and is terrible, to prove a point. It takes about 10 seconds to take Mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful things in the Bible, and again, one of the sweetest things a human being has ever written in in human history, and turn it into something abjectly awful. That doesn't point to a problem with the 23rd Psalm, or the Book of Psalms, or the idea of Psalms, or King David. That just points to the fact that human beings can ruin anything. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's actually what it points out. The the thing that I want to encourage you to land on is to simply ask when you're evaluating other people, man, what is this being used for? What are we doing here? Like the Bible's actually clear Old Testament and new what God is interested in. Old Testament says, what does the Lord your God require of you, O man, but to do justly, to love humbly, to, I'm sorry, to do, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus says essentially the same thing. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we want to get a, a third one in there, we can say the book of James says, religion that God our Father accepts is blameless and pure as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right, so we've got three data points where the Bible's making it clear what the main event is. When someone is droning on with their Bible stuff, does this have anything to do with that? Come on, does man. This, does this have anything to do with loving your neighbor as yourself? Does yeah. this have anything to do with loving mercy and doing justly and walking humbly? Because if not, dude, I'm tuning you out. Uh, and I would encourage you to do the same. That's uh, right. the, the Bible contains priorities. and. Whether someone is engaged in full-on heresy, like distorting the 23rd Psalm, or they're just on some nonsense, what does this have to do with anything? I would encourage you to decide in your own life that your life of faith is about loving God and loving other people. And uh, if someone is using the Bible in any way that doesn't directly have to do with loving God and loving other people, you're going to sail on and find somebody who does. That's right. That is all excellent stuff from all these guys. Two quick things I want to tack on the end here to make sure we get them covered. One is a way in which the Bible is, as we were talking about with like the hammer analogy, which is a great one, um, is just like anything else in the world. And one is a way in which it is uniquely different. The way it's like anything else in the world is just because it's misused does not make it not true. 
Um, someone uh, could, you know, use the the laws of Newtonian physics to come up with a way to, you know, launch a projectile and do a lot of damage, and that would be an awful thing. That doesn't mean that those laws of physics are untrue because they got uh, manipulated. They're either true or they're not. So at the, at the heart of all this is, do we think that the the overall message of scripture we're talking about here, the presence of God sending Jesus. Is that true? Because that's how we have to kind of weed through the rest of this. We have to have that that foundation to stand on. Now, here's, to pick up where Jed left off, the thing that's kind of wholly unique about the Bible, which is people who aren't actually on it don't—we don't have to uh, deal with their opinions about it because they're not going to have anything useful to say. You know, there's yep. like the Onion headline with— Bad news, the worst person you know makes a really great point. Um, all sorts of awful people can be right about the Constitution and Moby Dick and uh, physics and history. But the Bible is very clear. This is in Matthew 7, starting in verse 16, says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So Lee mentioned we have to look at someone's life to understand uh, if we want to take in their biblical analysis, but that's not just in the same way if we need to look at someone's life and you know take their advice on financial planning or working out, because someone could not be living those things out and still have good points. There's a knowledge right. there. But there's something about the Bible that goes a little deeper where— here, this is Jesus' word saying, people who use this for racism, for homophobia, for hate, for all these things are kind of Bible, they cannot have insight about this book. They, there is not a, you're not going to reach into this thorn bush and pull out the one delightful, tasty fig that was in there. That's not <laughs> how this is going to work. So in a way that really does free us up, as we've been talking about here, to put people on the ever-increasing pay-no-mind list uh -huh. and move on with our own thing. We're going to jump to our final question here. This came in anonymously and says, I thought I was really over someone and it's been years since the last time I saw them, but they got engaged to an old friend of mine and they got married. I know I'm supposed to be happier for them, but I am not. And I'm not sure I'm happy for myself. I don't even know why this hurts. We never even dated. Is this a curse? I feel regret. I feel like I'm more afraid to be in a relationship than ever. And we super appreciate the honesty. We appreciate the realness in the question. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, I think we start with recognizing that not all lost opportunities would have been great. Mm. Uh, the, it's it's important to examine that and to look at, you know, was there a good reason why uh, this relationship wasn't something that you were ready to enter in before? If you were working on things within yourself and that needed to be done, uh, then if you don't do the work, then that relationship wouldn't have been great because you wouldn't have been ready for it. So I think it's important to ask the Lord a bit about that and get a bit of a read of, you know, was was this an opportunity that w would have worked out? W was this the right timing and so forth? But I think you're you're pointing to you know you're talking about regret here, and I think that's the thing is when we uh, when we don't take hold of opportunities that are, are come our way, and if we don't pray through those choices, if we 
kind of hang back and assume that being a, a sort of uh, protective and lacking in vulnerability and you know, quote unquote, playing it safe and all that kind of stuff, that if I do that, then I'm not going to live with a lot of regrets. And what you find out is that's the recipe for regret Mm. (laughs) is Mm. is hanging back and not taking any chances and not seizing opportunities and not going for it when it's the right time to go for it. Uh, The thing that you were worried about before was not really regrets. It was rejection. Uh, the idea of putting yourself out there and trying something bold and new, and in this case, it's a relationship, and uh, fearing the rejection and fearing that your feelings wouldn't be returned to you. But it would work the same way if it was going for, you know, I'm not going to apply for this job or I'm not going to try to do this career. I'm not going to, you know, go play my guitar in this open mic night because they probably wouldn't like it and whatever else. We're if you live in that world where you're avoiding rejection, what you end up having is regret, and the regret is way worse than the rejection. Mm. <laughs> That's the message I wish someone had told you before, uh, because you know with rejection, you know rejection has a, a way of feeling really, really, really bad for like a little bit, right. <laughs> And then it kind of goes away when something cool comes along and changes that channel, you know. Uh, you you ask this girl out and she says no, and then you ask the next one out and she says yes. So you're like, oh, okay, you know, it's, I'm over it now. That's you know, you know, you're not still stinging from that rejection or something like that. Uh, but regret is different. When we feel that regret, we feel that this was a lost opportunity that's that's gone forever. You 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 just feel that sense of, you know, I, I wish I had done differently and there's nothing that can be done about that because that all lives in the past. You asked about how uh, to heal from regret. And I don't know about healing from it exactly, but I think the, the right way to deal with it and confront it is to look forward and say, mm-hmm. okay, I want to live my life moving forward that I have as little regret as possible. Now, I understand. When I say as little regret as possible, I don't mean uh, having no regret. Uh, Many of the people on this podcast are go for it, uh, you know, holds barred, let's just do this. But even amongst the people on this podcast, I, above all the rest, am the guy who will simply go for whatever. I have no fear. The word impossible is not in my vocabulary. I am driven. I will take every opportunity and every shot that comes my way. But I still have regrets in my life of things that that I wish I had done. So it's not as if any of us gets through life where we don't have any regrets. So I don't want you to beat up on yourself that you have things that you have regrets. I don't want you to feel like that means you're a special kind of failure because everyone deals with that. Amen. So if we're trying to say, okay, how do we live a life where we have almost no regret? Uh, That sounds like a hard thing to do. I think listening to the Lord and following Him, you're not going to have a lot of regrets doing that. So that's, that's one big obvious way to deal with that. But I can tell you this, as I hand this off to these other fellows, Almost all the regrets that people have in their lives are about things they didn't do. Mm. 
Uh, I have regrets about uh, certain things that I did, but when I really start looking at those things, I say, you know, that was a dumb mistake and I shouldn't have done it and I feel bad. But, you know, I did learn an important lesson and I did make some changes and, you know, it worked out for the best in the long run. So there's some good came out of that bad situation. But when it's something, a a good thing that I didn't take a hold of, there's nothing good that comes out of that. So I think it's about looking at what we don't do and opportunities we don't take hold of is Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 16 says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And that's what we want for you. Absolutely right. That's a great place to start that off there. And Lee, I'd love, love to get you to pick us up here. Um, I think Glenn is exactly right in his analysis there. That's the the great way to go. And I want us to, to get into this feeling a little bit and your your work with folks in high school, college age and all that. You know, there's a lot of a lot of big feelings around these particular type of topics. And uh, we don't obviously don't want you to don't want someone to dismiss those, but it can be I think it can be a challenge for someone who's feeling those for the first time to try to make sense of what's going on here. Yeah, totally. I think one of the you know, I mean, first of all, Glenn's exactly right. It's just a sucky thing to feel. Like what you're feeling just it just hurts and it just feels terrible. And so on that part of it, we we just want to kind of come alongside you and say, I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way. It's it's a sucky thing to look at a situation and feel like, dang, I I, I should have handled it this way. There's a there, there's a subtle art to to handling the feeling that you're in right now, uh, to handling this moment that can be hard to do if you've never done it before. It, it might take some reps. It might take some, 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 uh, just, you know, just, uh, trying it out and, and getting better at it as you go. But uh, for me, the, the, the way I think about this is, well, simply put, it's, it's looking back at a situation you wish had gone differently in an analysis that where where you're not beating yourself up, but you're looking at how do we do exactly what Glenn's talking about, which is point the lens forward. We want to look forward by learning what went wrong this past time. I, I'm not going to look back in order to beat myself up and say like you suck, you suck, you suck. You shouldn't have done it this way. But I want to I want to aim. I want to use that negative feeling to 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 fuel me for some change so that I can point forward exactly as Glenn's talking about. For me, the place where my brain goes to just because of the way I grew up is I, I think about what well, uh for those that don't know, my dad uh was a, a high school football coach and uh here in the south of the United States and and like I grew up every single every single Saturday my dad would spend hours watching uh, game film from the from the the previous night's game and breaking down every single play how his guys did the guys that he was coaching how did they handle every single play and he wanted to go into their film session which they were going to have the next day on Sunday with 
you know, some clear notes of this is what happened and this is what we need to change the next time you find yourself in this situation. That's all the game film is about. We're going to watch the game film. And that was a very productive activity if a person's willing to say, all right, I accept that I didn't do this perfectly. I'm not going to beat myself up because we're going to have lots more opportunities. There's going to be a lot more, a lot more snaps of the ball. And so if we, it's exactly what Glenn was saying, where he said, you know, that, that the, uh, the fear of rejection feels like this, this big thing to be afraid of. And then what you find out is you do it, you get rejected and it does suck, but it sucks for a very short amount of time. I was recently talking to a guy, uh, well, a couple of years ago now who was having the same issue. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Uh, he's a college dude. And I said, I want you to ask out a girl every single day for a month. And he was like, you're crazy. And I was like, fine, I'm crazy, but I want you to do it. And I, and what I want you to do, and he's like, well, what if, what if, uh, 30 girls turned me down? And I was like, well, they won't, but, uh, what you're going to find out is it's not as sucky as you imagine it is, but you don't know that yet because you never asked any of them out. So in your mind, the rejection is so terrible, but the, the regret is way worse, exactly as Glenn's saying. And so the, the idea of, of looking back at that situation and, find, and asking the question, what can I learn about it so that I can change the way that I handle the next situation, that's watching the game film. That's what people in sports do. Let's watch the game film so that the next time I find myself in this situation, I have a strategy for how to handle that. And you may need some help on this. You may need somebody to talk to to say, okay, what is it that I need to get over? Is it, you know, my, my voice catches, my heart starts pounding, my hands get all sweaty, and I don't know how to handle that situation. I don't, I don't actually know what words to say. Can you help me get some sentences down so that I can just kind of go in with rote memorization and I have an actual strategy for how to handle the next time? All of that to say, what we want to do is we want to turn this regret away from the idea that that you just somehow suck or you just somehow are a failure. That's We want to cancel all of that. That's not what this is. We want to take this situation and learn from it, watch the game film, and so we can get a strategy for how to handle the next snap of the ball. With the idea being, we're going to get a lot more reps, we're going to get a lot more snaps, and we're going to get a lot better at this the more and more and more that we do it. A really, really great point to build on there. And Jed, where do we close this discussion out? We love you. We believe in you. Um, we are proud of you for being willing to ask these questions at all. Um, yeah. the, the fact that you're willing to ask them means that you're well on your way towards not only the healing that you want, but the progress that I think that you want. And I want to offer just a couple thoughts that, that come in right on what both Glenn and Lee were saying. So you wrote in your question that things worked out the way that they did, at least in part because, and this is your language, I put up walls. All right. So to me, here's what happened. You did an experiment. If I put up walls in my life, does that get me what I want? That's, that's a perfectly reasonable question to ask. And right. I say that as a person who, man, I put up a lot of walls in my life, like a, a lot, a lot. So um, I, I get that. I get the idea of maybe walls will get me what I want. In this case, it turns out they definitely did not get you the thing that you wanted. We don't have to judge on you 
we don't even have to judge on putting up walls. We don't have to judge on anyone involved. All we have to say is, functionally speaking, this did not get me an outcome that I want. So let's try something else. It's time for a new experiment. The experiment that I want to propose to you is, what does courage get you? Mm. What does courage bring into your life? Yeah. Um, as a person, again, I've, man, I've, I've done the walls thing in my life very, very significantly. Um, my experience has been that, uh, by and large, courage gets you so much better outcomes than walls do. Mm. Like, dramatically. I can make the argument that courage is morally good in a way that defensiveness is not, but I don't think that's relevant. I think the thing that's relevant is that, for me, courage has gone much better places. It has produced much, much better outcomes. Um, it doesn't It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a better person now because there's more courage being used in my life, but it does mean I get the stuff that I like more often. And that's <laughs> really cool. That's, that's a good thing. And so I think, I think that's the thing that we really want to encourage you towards is – it's so easy with things that we really care about to have a layer of longing. There's a thing that I really, really want. And then kind of a layer of introspection of would it even really be right for me to have them? And, mm. and you know, would God want me to have them? And maybe I shouldn't have them. And I don't even know. And besides and so forth. Let's simplify this a little bit. You want what you want. And there is almost certainly a version of it that God would think is a good idea. How do we get there? What's, what's the how on this? The how on this is almost certainly courage and vulnerability and putting yourself out there. Mm. So go on that journey. Like Lee's saying, it's a day at a time. It's, it's one um, interaction with another human being at a time. But let's not give into that urge to judgment because it, it just doesn't fit the situation. Let's not give into that um, temptation to want to make this spiritual in a way that it might not be. And let's not give into the temptation to say, because I have regret, that means basically my life is over. So I, maybe I should never try on anything again. Let's right. not do any of that. There's stuff you want. There's got to be a version of the stuff you want that God thinks is cool and that he would smile on. How do we get there? That's almost certainly courage. So get that courage from the Lord and get in motion. That is all a really, really fantastic word. If you have a question for us, you can email us at saythatpodcast at gmail.com. You can write in anonymously to the bridge chicago.tumblr. Dot com. You can, of course, join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Chicago Ooh. time for our live bridge cast and can catch the archive version at the same place, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. Taylor's song this week. This applies to that last question. This is from the Jed Brewer archives. Ooh. It's a great tune called Such a Letdown. Take out that. Mm. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Coming this fall, the Say That sitcom featuring wacky hijinks with a nosy landlord solving mysteries with the bird in a coffee shop on an island with an evil twin and probably not cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> it's a go! I know that you're waiting But you don't know what for I know that you're hating being where you are Cause maybe you are wrong 
Get you through 